Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. The AccuNet Mortgage Talk and Text Line is open now. Give Jeff a call at 855-616-1620. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome to the show. Uh, first hour of the program might be slightly disjointed. Here, here's what's going on. Uh, the funeral of Henry Aaron, all-time great baseball player, um, started just a couple minutes ago. And Bud Selig, who was very, very close to Henry Aaron, Bud Selig is scheduled to give one of the, the eulogies. I think he's third on the speaker's list. It is our intention to carry... Bud Selig's remarks live. So we it, again, it, it's a funeral. You, you don't know exactly when that's going to occur, but we're we're watching some of the feeds that we have out of Atlanta. And when when Bud Selig starts, we're going to interrupt our programming and go and join that because I think again, I think it's appropriate on so many different levels. So I, I can't tell you exactly when that is going to occur, um, but but when it does, we're going to cut into our coverage. We're going to bring you Bud Selig speaking about that. And I've been thinking about all morning. How life is just kind of funny because every time, every time, you know, you, you think you've kind of turned a corner, it's sort of funny that life comes up and just smacks you in the nose. I was just, th- th- this week, I've been telling you for like, like a couple weeks, my, my wife was out of town, you know, taking care of some stuff and came back yesterday. The, amazingly, with all that weather, the airport was able to stay open. I think her flight from Florida was back, uh, it was like 20 minutes delayed. So, I was thrilled that she was back. She was thrilled that she was back. Our dog was thrilled that she was back. So that's all really good. Somebody very close to me has had some potentially serious medical issues going on over the course of the last couple of days. Looks like that's going to be all in the clear. Looks like it's working out pretty well. So, okay, we're, we're all kind of excited about that. So this morning, as I'm walking down the, the staircase, I get ready upstairs. I'm walking down the staircase. Right as I get to the bottom of the stairs, I, I take a bad step, take a fa- fall. I have not broken my foot. I'm confident, but I've sprained my foot pretty badly. So I'm hobbling around. You know, it really, it's kind of a struggle to move. It's fine when I'm sitting down, but I'm thinking, okay, this, everything's looking up. Everything's going great. This is super. Boom. Take a fall, twist your foot, which probably will mean that, um, no, no running marathons for me for, you know, a, a month or two. Small problem. Could have been a lot worse, but it is kind of funny how life works those things out for you. Something else that's funny that's going on is something happening in the stock market now. And I just, I want to tell you about it because it's one of these things that, it, if this is the future of the stock market, you have to be really, really careful. Now, I am by nature a conservative investor. I have been all my life. If there's something I, I don't understand, well, then I, I'm probably not going to, to jump in on it. And I'm one of these people that's all about, you want to grow your money and stuff, but you want to kind of also preserve your capital, you know, and that's, that's always been my philosophy. And I have friends who over the years have, you know, taken money and they've invested in all sorts of flyers and I think, I would say about 99% of the time it doesn't work out, but that, that's, that's fine. And, you know, it's always, hey, Jeff, you want to get in on this? Nah, I don't think so. I, I will pass on this. Well, there's something going on today, which at least some people are suggesting that this may be the future. Now, it used to be when, when you would buy stocks, Typically, you'd have to have an account at a brokerage account or somewhere like that, and you know you'd have to buy stocks to make it worthwhile for what you'd have to pay in your fees and all. You'd have to 
buy the stock in a, in a relatively large quantity. Well, now you have all these different trading platforms that are out there like Robinhood and things like that where small investors, you know, you, you can buy shares of stock for 50 bucks or 100 bucks. You know, you don't have to commit 1000 or 10000 and that that's all well and good. But there's a phenomenon that's going on right now, and it has to do with a stock called GameStop. Now, GameStop is exactly what it sounds like. It's It's that old... Those brick-and-mortar businesses that rent and sell video games that you see in malls. All right, it's it's like the video stores used to be. It's like Blockbuster Video or Family Video used to be. You go in, you buy the game, or you rent the game at the GameStop thing. Well, I'm not telling you anything that you don't know when I say malls are failing, you know, stores, brick-and-mortar stores are failing, and, you know, you, you have, I mean, GameStop, for example, the projection is that GameStop is it's losing money hand over fist, and it's planning to close 450 stores this year. Why? Well, just because like a lot of brick-and-mortar stores, people don't go into the stores to buy the video games. If you want the video game, you order it off of Amazon. Or alternatively, you, nowadays, you, you don't order. It's, it's like Blockbuster Video. You know, who, who gets a hard a copy of a VHS tape or a DVD anymore, you stream the stuff. And so for a lot of video gamers, you just you stream it. You don't need to actually buy the hard copy of it. So GameStop, for all intents and purposes, is sort of one of these dinosaur type of, of companies. All right. Um, when the new year turned, January, fir- Jan- January 4th of 2021, the stock of GameStop was at $19 a share, 19 bucks a share. And most analysts, as I look at this, say that that's about what the, the, the value of the stock is objectively. You know, if, if you look at the earnings per share and you look at the assets they have, it should be priced around 19 bucks. As we sit here right now, the stock that was worth $19 on January 4th, here we are January 27th, the stock is trading at $324 a share. The stock is up today from the close of business yesterday. It closed yesterday at 147. It is $328. It's up, you know, like do the math, like 180 points today. And the question is, why, how, how could it possibly be up this much? I mean, have they, you know, discovered a cure for cancer while they were dealing with the video games? And, and the answer is, is no. I mean, it's still the same old dinosaur stock that's going to be closing 450 stores. There's nothing different about it. It is a stock that is ostensibly, by all measure, it should be worth 19. It's trading at $327. So what's happening? Well, it, it's it's the internet. It's these small investors who are touting this. You know, it's, oh, we, we, this is it. Let's drive this to let let's drive this to the moon. So you you have people who are who are buying in small quantities again through some of these websites, the Robin Hoods and whatever, and they're paying more than the stock is worth. Then the next guy comes along, and he pays more than the other person has, and pretty soon the stock just keeps going up and up and up with no relation at all to what its actual value is. On top of that, you have a number of these institutional investors who are are doing what they call shorting a stock. 
And if you don't know what shorting a stock is, here, here's what happens. You borrow a company's shares, and then you sell them with the intention of buying them back cheaper when the share, share price falls. So, for example, instead of like a buy-and-hold investor, what you do is, let's say you think the stock price is going to go down. Okay, so you borrow money to to buy the stock at 10 and you think what's going to happen is the stock's going to go down to eight, so you've gotten um, you'll be able to you know sell it at eight, and you've paid ten for it. So you're betting that it's going to go down. Well, the problem that is is if it goes up, because at some point in time, so let's say you you've bought it at ten, you think it's going to go down to eight. So that that's fine. You'll you'll buy the shares back at eight and replace them. Well, what if it goes up to fifteen or twenty? Well, then you're out a whole bunch of money because you have to buy those shares back at the higher price. You've borrowed to buy them at ten. Now you've got to buy them at twenty. Well, that's what's been happening. And you have some um, of these stock shorters who are looking at the fundamentals of this and they're saying this is it's not worth any of this. This this is just crazy. It's got to go down. But you've got these other, you know, these these online investors that keep driving the price up and up and up, and they end up just taking a bath on this whole thing. And you know, th- there's a couple other stocks that are apparently going to be targeted next. One is AMC, which is another, you know, it's a theater chain. You know, who's going to movies nowadays? But it, it's this crazy stuff where these stocks are going through the roof, being driven by uh, again. This almost irrational exuberance and this sort of market manipulation. And some people are making a fortune. Some people are losing a fortune. But but it has no relationship to reality. Now, I, 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 I'm not Dave Spano. I don't, I don't give investment advice. There, I wouldn't touch one of these things. There, there is no way in the world that I would get involved in the middle of something like this because you know – it is going to crash and burn at some point in time. If the stock and the stock fundamentals are worth $20 a share, people paying $335.97 for a share for the stock right now, you know, is it possible that the stock could go up to 500? Well, I guess it's, it's possible, but if the stock is worth 20 bucks fundamentally, chances are, Sooner rather than later, it's going to come back down to 19, and I would argue that that's the much more likely scenario than going up from 332 to $350. I'm just saying it's a really dangerous game, and I wouldn't be playing it with my money. But that's it, it, it is an amazing story. On a day where the stock market is not doing well, the Dow Jones Industrial Average down 322 points, NASDAQ down 162, GameStop. The dinosaur company that's getting ready to close 450 locations is up $185 today and trading at $331. It's all because of the Internet. It's all because of these uh, short sellers um, who, who are losing a whole bunch of money because they keep saying, well, it, it's, it's going to go down. So we're betting on it to go down. And then they end up inadvertently driving up the price. It, it's just it's it's an incredible story. Again, for most people, it seems to me it's not going to end well, and especially for a lot of these individual investors who think that it's going to go through the roof. Uh, but an amazing story, and apparently GameStop is not going to be the first one that's going to have this play out. 
How it all turns out, fine. This is not how Jeff Wagner invests his money, though. Let's take a break. Back with more in just a minute. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. people are pointing out that the, the same thing that's going on with with GameStop, which again, it, it's they, they sell video games out of storefronts in malls. I mean, that is not exactly a growth business, but the, the price of the stock is just being driven through the roof by people on the Internet who are touting it. They're paying more than it's worth. You have short sellers who recognize that at some point in time it has to go down. So, you know, they're betting it goes down. But the Internet people who are out there trying to punish the short sellers, they're driving up the prices. Um, it's, and it's, it's just crazy. At some point in time, somebody's going to get burned really, really badly. And my guess is almost everybody's going to get burned really, really badly. Um, similar sort of thing for the same reason, appears to be going on today locally with Koss Corporation, you know, the folks out in Glendale that, that make the, the headphones and things like that. Um, Koss stock opened up at $17.52 a share. Um, its 52-week low was um, $0.80 cents a share. The previous close, the close of, the close of business yesterday was I believe ten dollars a share, ten bucks a share, and and so I mean I I don't know what the fair value is, but they they make headphones. I mean it it they make great headphones. Love costs. Know some of the folks that work at costs. Great great business. Not that, but it's it, it they make headphones. It, it's not exactly this business where you expect that all of a sudden it's going to see this huge spike in growth. Well today. The stock is now trading at three at thirty three dollars and seventy three seventy six cents. It's up over twenty three dollars a share. And, and keep in mind, it 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 closed yesterday around ten bucks, so it's up two hundred and thirty six percent. Now has has cost suddenly rolled out and announced today that they've discovered again the cure for cancer or a new COVID vaccine that they're going to be able to administer in one shot? No, they they, they haven't. It's the same company. It was. To, it is today that it was yesterday that it was last week and it, and it probably has by all objective measures it has a value of probably around 10 bucks a share when you look at earnings per share and what their projected sales are and yet it's trading at $33.61 and apparently the same thing that was happening with GameStop it stop is happening with with costs where you have people on the internet that are just Small investors that are bidding it up without regard for for value, seeing how high they can drive the stock price. And again, that that's all well and good, but at some point in time, that that stock price is going to come back to reality. And you know, you wonder, you know, what's going to happen to the people who who got in at thirty dollars a share or thirty two dollars a share or whatever, when all of a sudden it reverts back to where it really should be based on all the fundamentals and. I guess I, I understand part of this is this, hey, we're, we, we've got people on the Internet that are going to try to punish some of these institutional investors who use that process of selling short. But there, there's there, there's going to be all sorts of other people, I think, along the way who are going to end up getting hurt by this. And you wonder what, again, the long-term effects of something like this are going to be. For me, 
when, when it comes to money, I just I, I don't want to play around in this particular fashion. And so right now, costs local company appears to be, again, not to the same extent of GameStop, stop, which is up like $170 a share today for no apparent reason other than you've got this artificial bidding that's going on. Same sort of thing appears to happen with costs to a lesser extent. If you think you want to get into this, um, all I can say is you better be careful if you're if you're playing these games with your own money. Back with more in just a minute. This is Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. This week's sponsor for the Jeff Wagner Home Improvement Showcase is our presenting sponsor, the good folks at Great Midwest Bank. Great Midwest Bank is your simply local equal housing home renovation lender. Check them out at greatmidwestbank.com. As I mentioned a couple minutes ago, uh, Henry Aaron's funeral is, is taking place now. Bud Sealing is one of the many people scheduled to make remarks. We will, we're going to try to carry Bud's remarks when it is his turn to speak, so we are monitoring that. When we come back, the state is now finalizing the potential rollout of, of vaccines. Who gets the next wave? Now, the state doesn't have the next wave of vaccines, but this is who would be at the front of the next line. I think we are overcomplicating it by once again, as Tony Evers has done through the pandemic, picking winners and losers. I'll tell you how I think it should be handled. I'll tell you how it is being handled, and we'll discuss. You're listening to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Right. I think we would all agree that the way out of this pandemic is ultimately through vaccinations. And the key is getting as many doses of vaccine to the general public as possible, as quickly as they possibly can. You know, Joe Biden's announced this plan to have, what, 100 plus million people vaccinated by the, the summer. And, and, and I, I hope he's able to do it. But right now, we're in a situation where we don't have anywhere near enough vaccine to go around. So we have to prioritize it. Now, in Wisconsin, the, the first round of vaccines went to people in nursing homes. It went to frontline health care workers um, and, and, and it went to um, police and, and firefighters and things like that. Frontline health care workers, nursing homes and assisted living residents, police and fire personnel. And then it's now been expanded. So people over the age of 65 are, are eligible to get it. The problem, as we talked about yesterday, is a lot of people over the age of 65, they, they might be eligible to get it, but they can't get it because the, the places that they would go to don't have it. So there, there's a shortage. All right, so that, that's the issue. Now the question becomes, all right, after you get through this bunch of people, what, what do we do next? Who gets to go to the front of the line? And there's really two ways that you can look at this. One is to do what they're starting to do in California, and that is to do it based on age. And a lot of doctors think that this is the way that you should approach it. In other words, just simply say that based on your age, because here's here's the one thing that we know. Once you get through the people that are particularly vulnerable, what happens after that is the outcomes are very, very age-dependent. In other words, you can have a 25-year-old that gets COVID, and 
they can certainly have a bad reaction, but the odds of a 25-year-old having a bad reaction from COVID are a lot less than the odds of a 64-year-old or a 62-year-old with diabetes and with some other underlying medical issues having having a bad reaction. That, that's just what the statistics are. Now, there's plenty of 62-year-olds that come down with COVID, and they recover, and they're just fine. But if you look at the numbers, the, the biggest factor beyond, uh, again, some of these pre-existing risk things, the biggest factor in having an adverse long-term reaction is, is your age. Right, so that's one way to do it. In California, in a number of states, they're doing it just based on age. After they've got the healthcare workers that are taken care of, after they've got the, again, like the the people in the nursing homes, then it's like, okay, we're we're just we're going to make this easy. It's going to be based on age, and that's where the priority is. In Wisconsin, we're not doing it by an age-based criteria. What's going to happen is the people in the next group that are going to get it are going to be teachers, regardless of age, teachers, staff, um, higher education instructors and staff, essential workers, including 911 dispatchers, bus drivers, people who work for utility companies, and people who work in the food chain, farmers, food processors, grocery store workers, people who work at food care pantries, and non-frontline healthcare essential personnel, like um, people who, again, work in the IT departments at hospitals. So you can have a a 30-year-old guy or gal who's working in the IT department in a hospital remotely, and they're going to go ahead of, say, the 64-year-old with diabetes and obesity and all these different issues. In other words, what we're doing is we're, we're picking winners and losers, and we're trying to decide what roles are more important. The person that's that's working, stocking the shelves at the grocery store, well, we're saying that that person is, I don't know, more important than the guy that's going out to your house and doing your furnace repair in January. So the guy that's doing the furnace repair, well, you're an essential worker, but you're not as essential as the person who's stocking the shelves at the grocery store. So the person that's stocking the shelves at the grocery store goes ahead of you. And I'm not criticizing the people, the job that the people who are stocking the shelves at the grocery store do. Or again, you know, the, the, the teachers who are going to be in classrooms that where presumably you're going to have the size reduced and people have their mask on, They're, they go to the head of the line. Whereas, again, that 63-year-old with um, perhaps some, some medical issues, they, they, they go to the back of the line. Our number is 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. My problem, again, with picking winners and losers is making the, this judgment call that says, well, this person is more important than the person that's fixing your furnace. They go to the back of the line. The person who's the mechanic, well, that person goes to the back of the line, whereas the person, the 28-year-old who's doing the IT work at the hospital, they go to the front of the line. To me, the better way of doing this would just have been to base it on age. After you've taken care of the frontline healthcare workers and the people in the nursing homes and things like that, just start to say we're going to vaccinate people based on age because that's what the outcomes show. You want to get the older people vaccinated because they're the ones, if they get sick, they're the ones that are more likely to be hospitalized or to die. 
which isn't, again, to say that somebody in the 30s can't get it and can't die, but that's not what the numbers and the odds suggest. Okay, let's tee this up. 855-616-1620. That's the Accurate Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Should we pick winners and losers or just go by age? California's going by age. We discuss in just a moment. 855-616-1620. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Bud Seelig has just begun speaking at Henry Aaron's funeral. Let's go live to that, and then we'll be back to take calls. Neither fame or fortune changed his extraordinary kindness and empathy, which led to his greatness off the field. His impact not only on baseball, but on all of America, will never be forgotten. I remember when Henry first came to Milwaukee in 1954. It was the Braves' second season. He made an immediate impact as a 20-year-old hitting 280 with 13 home runs, but that was only a hint of what was to come. One of my fondest and most memorable moments in my long career occurred at County Stadium on September 23, 1957. The Braves and the St. Louis Cardinals were locked in a very close race for the National League pennant. That night, the Braves had the opportunity to clinch the pennant with a victory. The only ticket I could get was an obstructed view seat in the bleachers behind a big metal post. But what a game. It was tied going into the bottom of the 11th inning when Henry came to the plate and hit a laser to center field. Cardinal outfielder Wally Moon went to the wall, had no chance. Home run, game over, Braves win the pennant, Braves go to the World Series. The fans went wild and so did the Braves. It was an incredible celebration. The image of the great Aaron, deliriously happy, being hoisted on the shoulders of his teammates and being carried off the field is indelibly imprinted in my memory. The next day, the New York Times published a photograph on its front page that juxtaposed the ironic contrast of white man carrying a black man off the field in Milwaukee with a photograph taken in Little Rock, Arkansas, where Governor Orville Faubus, white troops were battling black students who were merely trying to go to school. The comparison between the ideals being shown by Henry's place in baseball compared to the reprehensible politics of race in Little Rock could not have been more clear. Henry and I became friends in 1958. We were both big football fans, and we went to Packer games together. The only time we were on opposite sides is when the Packers played Henry's beloved Cleveland Browns. We continued our friendship after the Braves moved to Atlanta. Throughout my years in baseball, I often said that baseball was a social institution with important social responsibilities. And, of course, a great example of that was Jackie Robinson's entry into the game in the 1947, which in many ways was baseball's most powerful and important moment. But another memorable and equally critical moment in baseball's social history occurred on April 8, 1974. Of course, that's the day Henry hit his 750th career home run, breaking the all-time record held by Babe Ruth. But this was so much more than just breaking a revered baseball record. The imagery of a black man being given a standing ovation in the Deep South was a powerful civil rights moment, but one for which there was a heavy price we paid, 
As you all know, Henry had received horrific hate mail and death threats. Over the years, Henry showed me some of the vile mail he received. The letters were shocking and to me demonstrated how only a person with his great inner strength and determination could overcome the kind of hate mail he did. In 1975, in the twilight of Henry's playing career, I made one of the most important decisions during my ownership of the Milwaukee Brewers, bringing Henry back to Milwaukee's final two years. He had a significant impact on our great young player, Robin Yount, and many other players. He was beloved in Milwaukee and throughout the state of Wisconsin as he was nationwide. He had a special relationship with our fans. That was particularly evident when my daughter Wendy and I asked him to help us convince Wisconsin legislators to support our plan for a new ballpark to keep the Burroughs in Milwaukee. It was a thrill of a lifetime for many of them to have the opportunity to meet and chat with Henry. He spoke passionately about how important baseball was for the community and the state. We prevailed to this day. I'm not sure we would have without his efforts and goodwill. The best way we know to thank him was to expand our support for his and Billy's beloved Chasing the Dream Foundation, which provides financial assistance to underserved kids. Henry was such a wonderful ambassador for the game, was always willing to do whatever he could to do make baseball better and, more importantly, more relevant. Over the years, as a baseball commissioner, I had asked Henry to attend many events and dinners. He was always willing. One such event was a congressional hearing. The subject, steroids. I must say the members of Congress seemed to be much more interested in spending time with Henry than they were on the subject of steroids. It was a beautiful day in Washington, D.C. We talked about the hearing, about baseball, and about our long friendship. Along the way, he said, who would have imagined, this is 1958 when we met, all those years ago, that I, a black kid from Mobile, Alabama, would break Babe Ruth's home record, and you, a Jewish kid from Milwaukee, would become baseball commissioner. Well, Henry was a man of grace, a man of patience, a man of tolerance, remarkable dignity under many tough situations, integrity and loyalty. Henry, we're going to miss you. We'll never forget you, but we'll always be grateful for you showing all of us how to chase our dreams. Bud Selig speaking at as one of the people giving a eulogy at the funeral of Henry Aaron. You, you can just tell the, the special relationship that Bud Selig had with Henry Aaron. Okay, let, let me reset. We're going to take some phone calls. The the state has announced the, the next round of who's in line for the vaccines. Now, the first round, if you're just tuning in, it was healthcare workers, it was people in nursing homes, it was people over 70. They expanded that to say, okay, over 65, and also um, frontline law enforcement people, firefighters, and police officers. In many states, the way they're doing this now is they're saying, okay, we're going to go based on, on age. That That's going to be the thing, because what we find is the, the biggest correlation to a bad result from having COVID is age. In Wisconsin, we're not doing it that way. In Wisconsin, we're saying, okay, well, we're going to put 
we're going to put teachers and we're going to put bus drivers and we're going to put stockers in grocery stores. We're going to put them ahead of um, people who are 62 with diabetes. And so we're, we're picking in winners and losers in that fashion. I think it would make more sense to just do it based on age, period. 855-616-1620. Let's start with Debbie in Greendale. Debbie, you're on WTMJ. Hi. Hi, Debbie. Hi, Henry Aaron was a great man, wasn't he? Got a chance to meet him at one time at Joseph Banks when he was buying a suit. He was a wonderful man. Yep, absolutely. And, now, and, yeah. What do you think? Yeah. <laughs> what about the COVID? I think some of your information is wrong, okay? I happen to be... Um, there are lists that you can get on, and they will call you, okay? And the only thing you have to be is 65, mm-hmm. okay? You don't have to be sick or yeah. have anything wrong with you at all. Yep. I mean, I'm getting a shot tomorrow, and I'm 70, Yep. and my husband is 70. Yep. And so you don't, I mean, and they're calling people. Is it my doctor's office yeah. is calling now? Right, my right. My girlfriend is right. only 66 right. it's, it's, she's getting one. She, right, it's, it's 65 and older. Right, exactly. That's that's the but next phase. You have to have something No, no, the, the, first, the first phase was 70 and older or health care workers. 75 and older. Oh, okay, then it's, the six, then it's 65, and then the next thing, after the people who are 65, then it's going to be the teachers and the, the grocery store stockers and things like that. My point is it should be based on age across the board. In other words, the next group should be the right. people who are 60 years old, and then the people who are 50 years old, instead of oh, trying to okay. pick winners and I losers. I you Yeah, that's all my point. I thought you meant you had to have something wrong with you. Nope, nope, nope. nope. You know, like diabetes or something like that. No. No, no. Th- no. All of a sudden, all of a sudden it seemed like when Biden got into office, all of a sudden the shots are opening up. Well, I think... And th- I don't know <laughs> that's a coincidence or... What? Yeah. Well, but thanks. Well, I, th- I mean, thanks to call. I mean, I think what's happening is th- there's there's more of the vaccine that's starting to become available, and I, I understand there's there are some people out there who think that again. Well, it, it's once Joe Biden was inaugurated, now there's this, the skies have parted. Now we suddenly have this vaccine. No, the problem is we don't have enough vaccine to go around, and we're not going to have enough vaccine to go around, unfortunately, for for several months. I just think you got to figure out a. I think it, it's like triage. You have to figure out the people who need it the most because of the bad outcomes. And somebody that's 60 years old or 58 years old with diabetes and obesity, I think they need it more than the 31-year-old, you know, remote worker at the I, at the who works for the hospital and he's working at home from the IT thing uh, and the IT thing. And I'm not minimizing what he does or the grocery store stockers or whatever. No, everybody plays essential businesses, but is the grocery store stocker is he more a more essential person than, like I say, the guy that comes out when it's 20 degrees outside and your furnace is broken down or the, the plumbers let's talk to brian in germantown brian you're at wtmj hi well hi. thank you for having me um as a former it worker and now a teacher i can tell you those remote workers that are work for hospitals and that if they can't do their job and the health record systems or the hospital systems go down then you're in trouble the, the challenge with that is those people doing those roles, we tend to overlook what they do. We tend to minimize it. But if you do that and it's suddenly gone, where patient records can't be pulled up, 
Well, you but, know, but, but you can say that. But you can in. say that about anything, right? You you can say, okay, what what if all of a sudden all the people that are fixing furnaces in Wisconsin in January are sick and they can't do their job and everybody's freezing? I mean, the 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 the, the, the IT the remote IT worker, the twenty eight year old or the thirty year old remote IT worker. Chances are, even if they get COVID, they're going to be able to work through that at home. I mean, it's not like they're going to be laid up forever, whereas the 62-year-old with diabetes, they get it. They're going to be in the hospital. They're going to be sick. They could die. You're right. It's not clear. It is muddy. But part of that, though, is, you know, you mentioned like a bus driver, grocery store worker. You know, we all want to be able to go to the store to get the Mm -hmm. food. I think you got to find a balance, to be honest. In between the two, I just wouldn't want to say you can leave that whole side of it out and maybe you split it 60 40 i you know i don't know but the thing is if those people aren't you know kept up and we suddenly lose these systems or we lose transportation or food yeah but we haven't about but, that brian thanks i mean yeah i understand what you're saying but but we haven't i mean we've and and, and it's probably in in all likelihood because and, and look i'm i'm not i'm not making fun of or dissing the the 32 year old it worker for the hospital okay i i understand it's an important sort of job but th- those people have been working at home in many cases through the entire pandemic since last march you haven't had hospital systems that have been crashing because of that so uh, until you get the vaccine that's available then what you end up doing is you you again you continue these other practices to make sure that large numbers of those people don't get sick like they haven't gotten sick before i'm just saying if you're going to pick winners and losers i mean i i just how do we decide what occupation is more essential than another I think that the criteria should be who, if they get sick, is most likely to end up in the hospital or the morgue. But that's just me. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. So why is it that Joe Biden doesn't care about poor people? I, I, just, I just throw that out rhetorically. Oh, what do you mean? How dare you say you're promoting this lack of unity? Well, I, I, I ask some of these questions. If you ever hear the term regressive tax, what, what that term means is it, it means a tax that has a greater impact on, say, poor people than it does rich people. I mean, so that's, that, that, that's the idea. Um, a, a very, very regressive for example, um, the, the gas tax is described as, as a regressive tax because it, you know, somebody that's making twenty thousand dollars a year that has to drive to their job, if if their gas, you, the gas tax they pay, that has a much bigger impact on them than say somebody who's making half a million dollars a year who has to drive their their car. But gasoline prices are something that are are very very regressive, in that the the higher the cost of gasoline the more disproportionate the impact it has on people who don't have the money to to pay for the increased cost of gas. I mean, look, nobody likes, for example, paying four bucks a gallon for gas like we were for at least a period of time several years ago. But there are for people who had more money while they didn't like it. They were able to to pay it. They could afford it. On the other hand, people who were just struggling to get by, if all of a sudden you know the prices of gasoline go up dramatically, that means some real hard choices are being made. You know, do we, we do, do we buy the gas? 
to drive to work or things like that? Or do we, you know, put food on the table? Those sorts of things. That's why one of the things, in my opinion, that's been driving some of our, a lot of our economic resurgence over the last several years has been the fact that gasoline prices are, are low. And that, that's good all, all, all across the, the board. The fact that energy prices are low means that f- for manufacturing companies, for example, that they can operate their machines at a lower cost than if they were, uh, again, having to pay the higher prices. It's good for consumers because, hey, you got to drive to work. Well, if you're paying $2.25 a gallon as opposed to $3.75 a gallon. You're using the same amount of gasoline every week. Well, that that's good. That's money in your pocket at the end of every week. That's why low gasoline prices to me is something that is an ideal. The reason we have had, or one of the many reasons, but I think one of the big reasons that we have essentially energy independence in this country, something that back in the 70s, those of us who were starting to drive back then never thought you you would see. One of the reasons we have large energy independence is the fact that suddenly we are awash in, in oil. And it's because of ways that we have figured to extract the oil from the ground, and then ultimately process it, turn it into gasoline, etc. But technology is caught up with this. And this is why when it comes to fossil fuels, there, there isn't a shortage. I mean, for years and years, the conversation is we're going to run out of oil. And, and then where are we going to be? Well, we're not going to run out of oil anytime soon. All, all of which brings me to why does Joe Biden hate poor people? One of the first things that President Biden did when he took over was he killed something called the Keystone Pipeline. Now, you might remember this. The Keystone Pipeline has been floating around for and has been a political hot potato for about the last 12 years. The Keystone Pipeline is a gas pipeline that starts in Alberta, Canada, which is in western Canada. And in one of the things that they have in Western Canada is they have tar sands. So they're, 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 they're drilling and they're bringing up a bunch of cheap crude oil. And the Keystone Pipeline, if it were completed, would take that oil from Alberta, Canada. It would bring it east to Saskatchewan, Canada, and then it would bring it south into the United States, Montana, North Dakota, South Dakota, and into Nebraska, where it would hook up with existing pipelines. If fully completed, the Keystone Pipeline would transmit somewhere in the neighborhood of 800 to 830,000 barrels of crude oil a day from Alberta, Canada, down to the, the Gulf Coast, where it could be processed. All right, it's, it's, it's a win all around. Canada gets jobs. The U.S. gets jobs, and we all get and to maintain relatively cheap oil. The pipeline is almost all built. There, there's only some relatively small sections that are not being built. But this has been really a fight with the, the climate change people because the idea is, well, you know, we, we don't want people driving the cars. We don't want this cheap gasoline that's there. So um, in Joe Biden's executive order, 
canceling the permit for the Keystone Pipeline. He says it's in the national interest, I'm quoting now, to end the pipeline so that other countries can see America moving away from fossil fuels. So other countries can see America moving away from fossil fuels. So forget the fact that it's going to allow Americans to continue to have cheap gasoline so they can drive their cars and they can get to work. In addition, you know, Joe Biden talks a lot about wanting good paying jobs. The minute he canceled the Keystone Pipeline, the estimates were that there were at least 10,000 union workers who were working on the, the Keystone Pipeline whose jobs just suddenly went away. In Wisconsin, there's a number of manufacturing companies that have people that even though the Keystone Pipeline isn't going through Wisconsin, they, they've sent people to the areas where they're working on the pipeline, and, and those jobs are suddenly going away. They estimate maybe as much of a 1,000. And, and these are these are good, family-supporting, well-paying jobs that have just suddenly disappeared, not because of environmental concerns. On top of that... And here's one of the ironies that the Obama administration found. If you cancel the pipeline, it's not going to stop Canada from continuing to drill. Canada's still, Alberta, Canada, they're still going to be drilling these tar sands, and they're still going to be producing the crude oil. What does change is instead of being able to put it in a pipeline and send it directly to the, to the Gulf Coast, What they do is that they're going to drill it, and then they're going to ship it by rail or by tanker. (laughs) And and, and actually, what the Obama administration, when they were looking at it, they found, and I'm looking at the study now, shipping this stuff by rail or tanker, they estimate would result in 28 to 42 percent higher CO2 emissions and more leaks than just sending it through a pipeline. So it's not like you're going to suddenly stop people from producing the gasoline. They're going to start the crude oil. They're still going to produce it, and they're still going to ship it. It's going to cost more, and the costs are going to go up. But nevertheless, your jobs are going to be lost. But we're doing this because we want to show the world that we're serious about limiting the impact of fossil fuels. Our number, 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Four words. Give me a break. I, I mean, seriously, don't we want to do everything we possibly can? And look, I, I understand we want to save the planet. I understand that climate change is, is is an issue. And, you know, I think it would be nice if maybe some of the celebrities would get rid of their, you know, jets that they fly around in and stuff if they're really concerned about carbon emissions and all that. But when we have the ability to safely and efficiently transport energy, in this case crude oil, so that we are able to keep prices low, Isn't it in the national interest to do that? I I keep reading all this stuff about, hey, we're changing the rules. We're going to buy American. We're going to protect jobs in the United States. Well, okay, Joe Biden just killed a whole bunch of good jobs in the United States, and he's created a huge rift with Canada that's very, very upset that now we've pulled the plug on this. 855-616-1620. And and to what end? See, that's the biggest thing as well. If suddenly... All of a sudden, you know, we can reduce carbon emissions and things, but but none of that's going to happen. We're killing jobs. We're raising prices. We're actually making, um, at least when it comes to CO2 levels and the potential for leaks, we're making it worse. What good comes from what President Biden did last week? 855-616-1620. We discuss.
This is Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Now, look, I, I understand that, that there's this call for unity, which means that we're supposed to, I guess in the, some people's minds, not criticize the new administration and just absolutely agree with everything they're doing. Well, I'm sorry. that That's that, that's not the, the way it, it works. Civility, yes. Unity, if unity means here, just let's let everybody, let's roll over and, and scratch everybody's belly. No, thank you. The decision by Joe Biden last week to kill the Keystone Pipeline, which would have transmitted 800,000 barrels, and it's almost all built. I mean, it is almost all built. It would trans, uh, transport over 800,000 barrels of crude oil from Alberta, Canada, down to the uh, Gulf Coast by on a daily basis. It it's it's a great idea by killing this you kill american jobs you increase costs what's going to happen is the the oil is still going to be transmitted but it's going to cost more because it's going to be brought by rail it's going to be brought by tanker truck co2 emissions are going to go up the jobs building the pipeline are going to go away. And by the way, uh, as long as we're talking about climate change, the chances for spills is much greater when instead of just putting it into a pipeline, what you're doing is you're transferring it constantly into rail cars that can derail or trucks that can have accidents on the roadways. 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Um, Jeff, Biden just signed an executive order prioritizing climate change as the largest security threat enter the Paris Accord and the pipelines shipping oil by rail is far more of an environmental threat thousands of jobs lost energy costs store to what end to placate the far left um well I think that there's an element of that Jeff Biden is so far removed from the reality of natural progress it's not even funny he's hurting the process of making improvements and making it more difficult to use less oil um yeah, I mean that that's the that's the bottom line. And and they, see they make no pretense about this. It, it it's all about it's not does it make economic sense? It's not is it good for the country? It's just we want to send a message to the rest of the world that we're serious about climate change. Okay, well that, well that's great. When the, the tanker truck the, the tanker, you know, truck has an accident or the rail car derails and you have an oil spill or the cost of gasoline goes up 50 cents a gallon and you know people who are working for minimum wage whatever that minimum wage might be when they end up having to pay more to say oh well that's great we're trying to make a statement to the the world about climate change <laughs> look i i think it, it's one thing to say we want to promote batteries and, and that that that's fine we want to promote set batteries or solar use now of course if you were depending on solar in wisconsin this winter where we've seen the sun what maybe a total of three days you, you'd be awfully cold but but that's okay at some point in time the economics are going to make sense right now with the fact that the world is awash in in oil and particularly that the united states or north america is awash in in oil that you can access easily and you can access cheaply why why we would start artificially messing with this is just absolutely beyond me. Jeff, I'm left scratching my head with the decision to cancel the Keystone Pipeline for all the reasons you mentioned. It doesn't make sense domestically or internationally. Canceling the pipeline will drive up gas prices, will increase CO2 emissions via transporting the Canadian oil to the Gulf. It makes no sense. Yes, it it makes no sense sense at at all and we're doing it for
show. Uh, Jeff, the pipeline allows Canada to get its oil on the cheap to the Gulf Coast, where the tankers will transport it to the highest bidder, keeping the cost high because of transporting the rail makes out. Um, the U.S. makes the U.S. offer ultimately more profitable to Canada, where they pipe it to the Gulf cheap and then send it overseas. Not sure. Um, <laughs> and then a lot of people are talking about by forcing it to be traveled by rail, that benefits. Again, it's picking the winners and losers. Jeff, I think the Biden administration is pandering to low-informed voters. They care about two things, money and power. The Keystone Pipeline does nothing for um, does nothing for many people. It is a poor decision. Basically, we think that the reason he did it was because Trump had approved it. Um well, I think that there is an element of that that is out there. Um, Jeff, the president has done everything he could to took office with executive orders to ruin this country, and the people that voted for him are getting what they deserve. Well, I'm not going to go that far. But I, I do think in this particular case, you have to go back and you have to look at what we are accomplishing. And for the perspective of those of us who live in Wisconsin, well, this is it's not good news, not just for the higher gas prices. But again, what's been going on is you have a number of companies, Wisconsin companies, who have been sending people to work on the pipeline. And this decision, so they're sending them to North Dakota, they're sending them to Montana, they're sending them to South Dakota. This decision has killed hundreds of Wisconsin jobs and thousands of good union paying jobs all over. It's imposed a regressive increase potentially in gasoline prices, which will disproportionately hurt the poor, all because we want to send some sort of message to the U.S., uh, to the to the rest of the world. Well, okay, the message is France is probably looking at, at us and laughing. Back with more in just a minute. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Boy, people are feisty on the text line today. That's fine. Hey, last week we lost a legend. Join us this Sunday at 1 o'clock as we remember Henry Hank Aaron in a two-hour special program. Hear from friends and teammates like Mr. Baseball Bob Euchre and Gorman Thomas. Archived audio from the 1970s, plus a special interview with legendary broadcaster Bob Costas. Join us this Sunday at 1 o'clock as we remember Henry Hank Aaron. All right. Thank goodness for the federal government. And I don't say that very often, but this is a situation where it's completely and totally appropriate. Remember the report that came out about all the vaccine that had been delivered to the Aurora in Grafton that had been, well, rendered perhaps useless by the pharmacist. Uh, the guy's name was uh, Stephen Brandenburg, and the, the Aurora pharmacist who had convinced himself that the vaccines were were going to be harmful to people. So he took it upon himself to try to ruin the vaccines. Now, the, the way this works is that vaccines are supposed to be kept refrigerated. And so what he did is he removed the vaccines from the refrigerator and and left them them out. And his intention was to destroy the vaccine. There's no question about it. He he did not believe that it, he did not believe that it was effective, and so he wanted to make sure that people who got the vaccines got vaccines that um, had lost their effectiveness. Now, I again, I can't explain what's going on in this guy's mind because it makes no sense. Well, what happened is so he leaves these vaccines out. 
what happens is one technicians find them both times. One time, um, some of the vaccine had been left out for a couple hours. Some had been left out for a little bit longer than that. And what ended up happening is 57 people who went to get the vaccine got vaccine that had been previously removed from refrigeration against the advice of the manufacturer. Now, how would you feel if you were one of those 57 people? That The problem was state law, there's a hang-up with state law. Originally, and we talked about this when it first happened, I, I, I say throw the book at this guy because his intention was to destroy these vaccines. But even worse, you had patients that were getting this stuff that, that you didn't know what the effectiveness was going to be, nor did you know if you know may, maybe there was going to be a bad result to it. I mean, I just don't think a pharmacist should take this upon himself to do it. Well, the problem with state law was that because of sort of the nuances of state law, it was tough to find a charge that was appropriate because the DA, and I, I like the DA up in Ozaki County, he was getting hung up on the state law because there was an issue as to even though the pharmacist's intention was to destroy or render this, this ineffective, and even though a, a number of people did receive vaccinations from stuff that was left out longer than it should be, the underlying question was, maybe the stuff still worked. And so even if he intended to wreck the vaccine, and even if the people thought they were getting vaccine that had been handled appropriately, maybe it was still going to be effective. And so that was kind of the hang up. And if it turned out that maybe the stuff was still effective, then the best you could do is charge him with a a misdemeanor, which really would be a slap on the wrist. Well, the breaking news is that the the federal government moved in. U.S. Attorney's Office, where I used to work, moved in, and they they cut a plea deal. So what what happened is I think they went to his attorneys and they said, okay, look, here, here's the deal. You know, we're prepared to indict him on a variety of federal offenses that we think are more appropriate. And so they ended up, um, they, they entered what's an information. They filed an information, which is where you waive your right to have the matter proceeded to a grand jury and a plea agreement at the same time. So they, they had cut this agreement where he agrees to plead guilty to two counts of attempting to tamper with a consumer product, and that is a federal offense, and there's no question. I mean, this was a consumer product. He attempted to tamper with this. Each count carries a maximum sentence of 10 years, 20 years for both counts, um, one for each time. He intentionally left more than 500 doses out of the refrigerator. Now, so he's going to be looking at 20 years in prison. He's not going to get 20 years in prison. He's not going to get 10 years in prison. My guess is he gets some time in prison because this is a very, very big deal. But when we talked about this when it first happened a month or so ago, I was one of these people saying this is a big deal. You, you cannot have medical care professionals taking it upon themselves to whatever their motivations are, destroy or attempt to destroy or render useless vaccinations that people are waiting for. I mean, you know, worst worst case scenario, I guess, is that somebody gets this after it's been left out and, and gets sick. That's bad. But secondly, 
if in fact the vaccine is ineffective after it's been left in a non-refrigerated state, and so somebody gets the vaccine and then they end up getting COVID, well, you know that that's going to be the, the story. If this hadn't been caught, hey, I got the vaccine, and then you know three weeks later I, I I got COVID. What's going on? This stuff doesn't work. What you do is you undermine confidence in the entire vaccination system. And as somebody who has been arguing for the longest time that you know our way out of this very dark tunnel is getting herd immunity and getting people vaccinated, that would be the worst of all situations. Again, I I understand the guy's got extenuating circumstances, but no sympathy from me at all. I'm glad the case is resolving itself. His sentencing will probably be in 30 to 60 to 90 days. And again, I think there's going to be some accountability. But in this case, the Fed stepped in, the charges were appropriate, more apt than the state uh, charges, and there will be some sense of justice. All right, when we come back, let's talk about what justice is when a kid sticks a gun in your face and takes your car. You're listening to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. I read this story. It's, it's, it's an opinion piece in the Chicago Tribune this morning. It's one of the many papers I read when I'm getting ready for the show. And, and I thought I would share it because I, I legitimately want your reaction to it. Now, in the Milwaukee area, we have had crime rate through the roof. Homicide rates, if not an all-time record last year, close to an all-time record. And, you know, we're not seeing anything new in in January of 2021 that was different than December of of 2020. But it's not just homicides. It's shooting. It's violent crimes. It's things of the like. And one of the crimes that is really taking off, and it's not just in the Milwaukee area, but it's all over, is carjacking. You know, going up to somebody... The, the lady, you know, you're, you're coming from the grocery store, you're, you're carrying your purse, you've got two bags of groceries, and some punk comes up and sticks a gun in your face and takes your purse and gets in and takes your car. Um, we, we had, you know, not that long ago, the attempted carjacking of the former county executive, uh, Chris Abley, right, right down the street from where I'm sitting now, you know, Oakland and Capitol, where at 7 o'clock, 6 o'clock on a Sunday night, car runs him off the road essentially forces him to stop guy gets out with a gun would have stolen the car but for the fact that the idiots didn't know how to drive the type of car that Abley was driving which is sort of poetic justice it's not funny but it's but those people are still at large so you know this, this is going on one of the things that they find with carjackings is this tends to be something committed with alarming frequency by juveniles so that's the backdrop of of this Piece, opinion piece that was in the Chicago Tribune today. It's written by somebody named Darlene Glanton. Without question, the carjacking in Addison, that's an Illinois suburb, was heinous. A 20-year-old woman was walking to her car in the parking lot of a Popeye's restaurant Saturday night when three males confronted her, demanded her cell phone cash and her car keys. Two of the offenders were armed, and they warned her that if she refused, they would kill her. So she did what she was told. The young men sped off in her car and drove all the way to the south side of Chicago. Addison police were in pursuit, and when the suspects were cornered, two jumped out and ran. A 17-year-old was apprehended. On the drive back to the suburbs, the teenager reportedly told the officers that he would be released from juvenile jail in a day and that he would come looking for them and shoot them. If this is true, the teen is not only immature, he's stupid. 
There's no, but there's, that's no reason for DuPage County prosecutors. Now, this is Illinois, but you could apply this to Milwaukee. That's no reason for DuPage County prosecutors to attempt to bypass the juvenile justice system and charge him as an adult. If convicted of aggravated vehicular hijacking and armed robbery, the teenager could spend several decades in prison. Certainly, the youth should be punished if he's guilty. But DePage County prosecutors seem more interested in locking up kids for longer than the law requires than seeing to it that fair and equitable justice is served. Perhaps a stronger case could be made for charging a youth as an adult when someone is severely injured or killed as has happened in some carjackings in Chicago. But some prosecutors apparently feel as though they must send a strong message to these young criminals, regardless of the circumstances. Okay, let, let me stop there. So what this writer is saying is, well, well, maybe if when the 15 and 16-year-old thugs stick the gun in the woman's face, if they were to shoot and kill her, well, then maybe you could justify you know, waving them into adult court. But... But if it's merely they stick the gun in her face, they traumatize her, she gives up the car, and they drive away, how can we think about charging them as adults? Okay, peace continues. It doesn't seem as though the message has gotten through. Such messages never do. Chicago officials have been struggling with how to deal with the carjapping academic epidemic that has terrorized neighborhoods, particularly the South Side, for more than a year. During the first three weeks of this year, more than 166 carjackings were reported. These are serious crimes. Victims have been traumatized, paralyzed, and kills, killed. But unlike the violence that has long devastated neighborhoods in Chicago, most of the culprits involved in the carjackings are kids. According to police, the average age of the robbers is between 15 and 20. The youngest in the recent attacks was only 12 years old. While some of the cars are used to commit other crimes, much of the time they're simply used for joyriding. Something surely must be done, but locking up kids for the rest of their lives is not not the best option. And then it, it goes on and on, and it talks about how, well, okay, just because the 15-year-old sticks a gun in somebody's face and steals the car, that, that doesn't mean that we should send them to prison for any sort of length of time. Let's try rehabilitation. Um, Jeff, the mere thought, let's see, it's the mere thought of being forced out of your car by a group of young men wielding a gun is terrifying for nearly anyone. On Chicago's south side, residents live with this fear day in and day out. But residents need to understand something that prosecutors do not do. There is no easy fix. Throwing juveniles behind bars to be groomed by lifetime criminals does not eliminate crime. It creates more criminals. All right, 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. The basic premise is, all right, if some 15-year-old sticks a gun in your face and steals your car and drives off, yes, it's serious, Yes, we're sorry you're traumatized. Yes, we're sorry you're upset. No, he shouldn't have done it. But but we can't treat this too seriously. How, how dare we wave the kid into adult court? How dare we put the kid behind bars for, I don't know, five or, or ten years? Don't you understand that we're not going to help the poor child? All we're going to do is help turn him into a more hardened criminal. That's the argument. 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right. My take on this is, look, I... 
I think it's great if you can rehabilitate 15 and 16-year-olds that have gotten to the point where they're sticking guns in people's faces and stealing cars. The primary thing needs to be, though, to protect society. And if you are at a point where you're sticking a gun in somebody's face at the age of 15 or 16, you need to be off the street and slapping you on the wrist and sending you back to mom and dad and telling you don't do this again. I'm sorry. That's not the answer. And I think this column is absolutely ridiculous. It's one of the silliest things that I have ever read. Because I'll tell you something else. The, these 15 and 16 year old kids, or 14 or 12, who are sticking guns in people's faces, they don't get caught the first time. That's just the reality. I know lots of people in law enforcement, I respect their ability, but in general, Law enforcement isn't good enough to catch people the first time. And by the way, what 14-year-old just wakes up one day and says, hey, today's the day that I'm going to take my gun and I'm going to go stick it in some 40-year-old lady or 60-year-old lady's face and steal her car? No, you, you don't just go from zero to that. You know, chances are that if you're caught and involved in an armed carjacking, you've been doing all sorts of stuff for a long time. 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Let's talk to Chris in Iron Ridge. Chris, you're on WTMJ. Hey, Jeff. How's it going? Real well, thank you. What do you think? Are, are we too tough on these juvenile carjackers? You know, quite frankly, I don't think we're tough enough. The kid knows that it's wrong to have a gun. They know what they're doing is wrong. You know how many people have concealed carry firearm permits nowadays? Is it going to be going too far then when somebody with their concealed carry permit takes a shot at one of these kids that's pointing guns in their face trying to steal your property? What, what is rehabilitation going to do at that point then? Does it come down to the parents at home not being tough enough on the kids to begin with? Well, right. I mean, it's, I mean, thank, right. There, thanks for going. Obviously, there's something really, really wrong. I mean, I don't know about you, but can I see a show of hands? When, when you were 15 years old, did, did you ever wake up one morning and say, hey, today's the day I'm going to go grab a gun and I'm going to wait outside in a Piggly Wiggly grocery store? I don't mean to pick on Piggly Wiggly. I'm going to go, I'm going to wait in the, the parking lot of a Piggly Wiggly grocery store to find some, you know, 60-year-old lady who's pushing a shopping cart full of groceries out to her SUV, and I'm going to run up behind her, and I'm going to stick a gun in her face, and I'm going to take her purse, and I'm, I'm going to drive away in that car for whatever purpose. I mean, did that occur to anybody, you know, when they were 14 years old? Well, like, the answer is, of course, it, it didn't. And, and look, I understand the argument that by putting people in prison, well, you're giving them the chance to associate with other criminals, and maybe they just come out as smarter criminals. And, and that is a legitimate issue. But not putting them in prison does nothing to protect society in general. And I think it's attitudes like this. Matter of fact, I, I have, you know, a, I have a texter who's saying, you know, it, it's attitudes like this why crime is so out of control that we we don't need to have accountability you know here let's let let's let's send the little darling who's now stuck a gun in somebody's face let's send the little darling off to play some midnight basketball that that'll teach him let's talk to brian 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 got turned on your radio brian okay sorry you if you call in you're gonna you got to turn down your radio because otherwise you hear yourself there's a there's a delay of about seven seconds and it makes you crazy and it makes me crazy. Eight five five six one six one six twenty, which is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Uh, Jeff, we now have daycare in high schools. I think we could get juvenile areas in adult prison, and that's where some of these punks should be. Well, by the way, in Wisconsin, that's the way it works. If you're sixteen years old and you get 
treated as an adult for an armed carjacking, you don't go right to Waupon. First of all, you go to one of the juvenile facilities, and then when you turn 18, then then you get to go, you know, to the to one of the more prisons. Um, Jeff, prison time is necessary to send a message to these carjackers. Enough is enough. My mom was carjacked, and the kids did nothing but get a slap on the wrist. Jeff, a few years ago in Brookfield, my wife was nearly a carjack victim at a gas station with our kids. Fortunately, nothing happened. But if the people are not held accountable, the problem will not only persist, it will be seen as an acceptable crime. Really? Armed robbery is now a rite of passage? Well, yeah, that you saw that. You know, what, what did we learn in Milwaukee over the last couple years when the mayor and the former police chief, Ed Flynn, implemented that absolutely absurd position on no police chases? And I, I understand it came from a good place. We don't want the police chasing because it's a possibility that somebody that's innocent could get hurt. All right. But the effect of this was all the bad guys learned about it. And then they just ran. Drive through a stoplight at 65 miles an hour. Cop puts on the lights. Pull away. Rob the place. Pull away. They won't chase. Um, sell drugs. Okay, here, instead of selling drugs out of an apartment, you're going to sell drugs out of a car. Drive away. All it did was spike crime. It did not work. And this is the same sort of thing. If you don't treat carjacking seriously, now I would even make the same argument to stuff like car theft. But this this columnist, she's talking about carjacking, where you go up and stick a weapon in somebody's face and take their car, and we're supposed to say, oh, well, unless they killed you, unless they pulled the trigger, we're just going to send you off to juvenile hall, or maybe we'll send you back to mom and dad. Nuts to that. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome back to the show. You know, I, I have no frame of reference for this, but I have always heard, it's one of the amazing things about the human mind, is that if women could remember how much pain they go through when when they have children childbirth if they could remember how much pain they have they would never have a second child again it would be kind of like if you've done it once you would never go through this again but of course what what happens is that the human mind forgets it and that's why you have people have all these different kids and stuff like that i bring that up only because if you were listening at the beginning of the show i i i did something just I'd say it was incredibly stupid, but I don't think I was doing anything irresponsible. I was coming down our stairs. I have a split-level home, and I, I was coming downstairs after doing my work. It's where my office is, and I got to the bottom step, and I just took a bad step, and I, I took a fall. And I'm I'm fine. I, I landed on my butt, you know. So so I, I I'm not sore, didn't bang anything, no bleeding or anything, but I twisted the heck out of my my right foot, and um, it's it's not broken. I can put weight on it, but I. I, I'm, I've sprained it. There's no question about it. I've sprained it, I think, pretty badly. So it, it's fine when you're sitting down. So I'm mean, doing the show, and it's okay. But when you, you stand up, and, and I can put weight on it all, but it's it's sore. And I have no doubt that when I take off my boot, it's going to be really swollen. But I was just I, I just got up to walk around to see how it was. And it was, i got to tell you, Gru, who's producing the show today and always, it it's I don't know what it's like to have a, a child. I, I do not know what childbirth is like, but I'm telling you, walking on this foot, just doing this little lap around to go to the bathroom and come back, 
got my attention. I, I sent my wife a note saying, I don't think I'm going to be chasing around the house anytime soon. Yeah, ice, elevate, and uh, if you get some foot wrap or some sport wrap, put that around your ankle and your foot, and hopefully you, that'll help. You, you messed up your ankle a while back. Yeah, I took a tumble, and I had a high ankle sprain, but it was it affected parts of my foot, too. So there were, there were certain angles that I couldn't really step on, yeah. like, I, like I could step on... Maybe the the front part of my foot, but not the ball of it. And yeah, yeah. It's, it, you do a little dance around it. I'm trying to figure out the best way to limp. You know, that was what I was trying to do. Does it? Do I? Do I lead? And actually, I find that if I lead, this is my right foot. I find if I lead with my right foot and then follow with my. Interestingly, that hurts a little bit left than a, less than if I lead with my left foot. And I, I don't exactly. I'm going to have to play around with this, and and hopefully it will get better. But um. You know, and of course, I, I took this spill in front of my wife, and she said, "Oh my God, yes, no, I'm, I'm, I'm really, I'm okay. I'm just feeling kind of dumb about this, and yeah, just, it just hurts." Okay, no marathons, no tennis games, no, no hitting a golf ball for at least a little while. Okay, let us discuss. Oh my! My wife just sent me a note that she's listening to you. She's on it, so uh, she will she will be heading over to the pharmacy across the street, and who knows what stuff that we're we're going to end up getting. <laughs> you know, it's just there'll there'll be all these different things waiting for me when I get home, and that and maybe a you know time to break out the good bourbon too. You know that that's perhaps what we will do as well. I will survive. All right, this is a situation where everybody's right and everybody's wrong. I want to share my thoughts with you and understand that in doing this, maybe none of you will agree with me. The Wisconsin State Senate yesterday voted to end the governor's statewide face mask mandate. This is very, very controversial. It's being, I think, misrepresented for what it is in some circles. But I understand what the optics of this are. The the Senate bill now goes to the state assembly. If they pass it, it doesn't have to be signed by the governor. Now, now here's here's what the issue is. Now, let me kind of break this down. The governor has emergency authority to unilaterally issue various proclamations to deal with, with emergencies. And way back when we started COVID, the governor said, okay, One of the things I want to do is I want to impose a statewide mask mandate. The law says it runs for 60 days. And in that 60 days, the state legislature then has to decide whether they're going to enact it or do away with it or modify it or or whatever. But the, the governor only has authority to do this for 60 days. So the governor imposes the mask mandate. The 60 days expire. The state legislature hasn't acted. So the governor extends it. He says, okay, I'm, I'm going to issue, I'm going to continue this. Well, I think the law is very clear that a governor can't just unilaterally extend, uh, in this case, it's a mask mandate, but it could be all sorts of other things as well. His authority is 60 days. After that, it goes to the legislature. Well, the governor has continued the mask mandate and there's been a couple theories on the one hand he says why well, I, I can just i can continue to do this the other argument has been well it, i'm just going to declare it to be a new emergency even though it's the same emergency i think the governor is wrong on this i think that the governor you know he's got he gets 60 days and then after that 60 days he loses the authority to act unilaterally we we don't have kings that just you know can simply 
impose these different rules. So I think the governor is wrong when he says that he has the authority to just extend the mask mandate. All right. Having said that, there's no question that masks do not hurt. Now, I understand and I I hear I, I really don't want to get drawn into the wear a mask or not wear a mask thing. And I, and I understand that the, the conventional wisdom at the beginning was you don't need a mask. Now it's, you know, everybody has to wear a mask. I, I, I don't know how much they help because I know lots of people who religiously wore masks and practice social distancing and all those things, and they got COVID. I, I, I do. And I know people who really haven't done it that much, and they haven't. So I, I, don't, I don't know how much it helps or it hurts or whatever, I, how much it helps, but I know it can't hurt. And I, I think, you know, from a, a social perspective, I think more and more people just recognize wearing a mask isn't a big deal. So you, you just do it. It becomes, you know, um, an, an everyday sort of thing, kind of like belt, buckling up your seatbelt. And again, even if it if it doesn't help, because we've had these mask mandates and our and our numbers have gone up, they've just skyrocketed, not just in Wisconsin, but all across the country. So you might be able to make a credible argument that it really doesn't make any difference. But like I say, I it, it doesn't hurt. And so I, I think most people are starting to do it. So on the one hand, do I think the governor has the authority to do it? The answer is no. On the other hand, do I think it's a bad thing? And the answer is no. I don't I don't think it can hurt. So the Republicans in the legislature, by passing this thing, this this law, this resolution, which would end the mask mandate, they're making the argument, well, all we're trying to do is make a statement that says that the governor doesn't have the authority to do it. Well, well, that's all well and good, but the optics of this are horrible because I think most people believe that even if you don't believe that the masks make any difference, it, it, it's not going to hurt you to do it. And that's, in the vast majority of states, that's the way we're, we're dealing with it. You wear masks. You wear masks if you're in public buildings. You wear masks when you're on airplanes. You wear masks in all these different situations. It's almost become this acceptable thing. So I understand what is motivating the decision to say, okay, we're, we're going to do away with the mask mandate legislatively because we want to say to the governor he doesn't have the authority to do it. To that extent, that's right. But if you're going to do it, I guess I think it should be replaced with a separate mask requirement of your own. Is this the time to do away with mask requirements? And and what are the optics of that? And is it really necessary? Our number, 855-616-1620, that's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I guess I think it's a mistake to end the governor's mask mandate without doing something yourself. Um, 855-616-1620, that's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. That's why I kind of think everybody is right and wrong. The governor, I think, is wrong to assume this responsibility and to think that he can impose this just, just forever by declaring a continuing set of emergencies. I don't think he has that power. If the Republicans in the legislature want to make a statement that he doesn't, that, that's all well and good. I understand why you'd want to limit that. But at the same time, to do away with the mask requirement without putting your own in, I, I think is is a mistake. And I think big picture, it hurts you. 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Okay. My guess is that if you follow that, people who are incredibly pro-mask or incredibly anti-mask, everybody disagrees with me. All right, 855-616-1620, that, that's fine. I just, I think the governor was overreaching, but I think the way the Republicans are choosing to go about dealing with that overreach is wrong as well. We discuss.
Back to Take Your Calls. Here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Eight five five six one six one six twenty. This is again this whole mask conversation. What's playing out in Madison? My theory is that everybody's wrong. I, I don't think the governor has the authority to put in the mask mandate or to continue it like he has. So I think he's wrong there. I think the Republicans at this point in time are making a mistake by ending the mask mandate without putting in one of their own. Let's start with Toby and Mequon. Toby, you're on WTMJ. Thank you for taking my call, and I agree 100% with what you just said. Comment one, the masks do make a difference. a matter of fact, not only do they make a difference, now we're being considered to double mask because of the new mutation variants that are going around from South Africa and Brazil. Second of all, the governor had to act. This is an emergency. Last I saw, a lot of people are dying. A lot of people are in hospitals and ICUs. It's horrific. The masks need to be used. When you don't mandate something and you just say to people, well, do whatever you want, what we get is chaos. A lot of people don't want to do it for no good reason. And the third thing is, if the legislature thought it was such a bad idea, I mean, after 60 days, they could have stepped up to the plate and said, you know what? We agree with the governor. Let's continue the mask mandate. I've heard very few people, especially businesses, protest the mandate. Um, No, thanks for the call, Toby. Or or modify it uh, accordingly, you know. Um, And, you know, by the way, even if this legislation passes, there's nothing which would stop local governments from being able to impose their own mask mandates, and there's certainly nothing that would stop businesses from doing that. But, I mean, as I've said before, we've talked about this, my general sense is everybody's wearing masks now anyways. The Maybe not at the beginning of this, but everywhere I go now, and now my bigger thing is people are wearing masks, but they're not wearing the masks appropriately. You know, the big thing with the you know, masks down below people's noses and all. But I, you know, pretty much wherever I go, if I see somebody... I don't remember the last time, mask or no mask. Now, I understand people tell me that there are pockets of the state where people just refuse to wear masks, period. But, I mean, I believe that there's a lot of voluntary compliance with this anyhow. I I do think the, the optics of this are kind of bad because I think most people understand, like I was saying earlier, even if you're not sold on, do masks make a difference and, and stop the spread? Even if you're not sold on that, I, I haven't heard any compelling argument saying, well, the masks are making things worse. 855-616-1620. Uh, Jeanette uh, in Sussex. Hi, Jeanette. Yeah. You're on WTMJ. Hi. What do you think? Okay. I'm ashamed to be a Wisconsinite when the senators in Madison override the governor and the president on the mask policy. Instead of using logic and thinking of what is right, all they have on their mind is to be a Republican and do anything that opposes the Democrats. When will these people wake up and realize they were elected to do the right thing, to be honorable and not to stir up controversy? Well, but, well Jeanette, but what, if the gov- but Jeanette what, no, what if the governor doesn't have the authority to, to issue that order? Okay, maybe he doesn't, but okay. the president said he would like us to be wearing a mask. Yeah. Now, I am over 65, and I lost my brother to this disease. And I am waiting patiently till it is my turn to get the vaccine. Yet I should go out and get our necessities and expose myself to people who are not wearing a mask just because the stupid senators want to prove a point. 
Well, do you think that if the mask mandate goes away, that all of a sudden all these people that are in the grocery stores that you're going to, you think they're suddenly going to stop wearing their masks? Well, I'm not going to. Yeah, I'm not either. I mean, I'm not either. Nationally, we were told to wear one. These guys are not doing it because it is right or wrong. They're only thinking I'm a Republican and I'm going to vote against the Democrats. Well, I, I'm thanks. I, see, I think, Jeanette, I, I think that's oversimplifying the, the situation. I, and I, I really do. But I, I guess I, I would go back to that. If if this resolution passes without something else in its place, I, I don't suddenly think that you're going to see all sorts of people suddenly decide that they're not going to stop wearing ma- start wearing masks. I mean, I, I, I don't know about you. I don't I don't wear my mask because. Tony Evers says I'm supposed to wear my mask because there's no enforcement of that anyways. I wear my mask because I, I think from a social contract perspective, it's it's the right thing to do. And and I guess people are giving sending me notes saying, well, we don't see anybody wearing masks. I, that, that's, I got to tell you, that's just not my experience. Maybe there's parts of the state where people refuse to do it, but in, at least southeastern wisconsin you know when when i go into places everybody is wearing masks and i don't i don't believe that that's going to change and regardless of what happens in madison regardless of what the republicans and the legislature do regardless of what the governor does i i'm going to continue wearing my mask for the foreseeable future because again i i, I think it it can't hurt and it's part of that social contract 855-616-1620 doug in oak creek hi doug you're on wtmj Good afternoon. Good to be on. What do you think? Well, we have a very big problem. We have a lot of people in this country that are just being stubborn and macho and belligerent. They just don't want to comply. And these are the same people that are all complaining that they have to wear a mask. But the longer they go without wearing masks, the longer we're going to be required to wear masks. And they can't get that through their skull. I mentioned when I go to the gym in Hales Corners, 80, 85% of the people do not have masks on or they don't have them on properly. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a nurse that goes there, and she absolutely refuses to wear a mask. It's the hot, humid, sweaty environment, and these people don't understand that all they have to do is grab equipment, wipe their face, carry this virus back to, say, their parents, and uh, they could easily get sick and die. So until it should be a law, it shouldn't be a mandate, it should be a law that everybody has to wear a proper mask and wear it properly in all public places until this virus is under control. But the mentality of the people isn't there. They just don't believe in it, and they're not going to accept that they're just doing it to be defiant. Right. Thanks. Well, I, you know, I mean, I, here, here's part of the thing. I, I guess, and I'm sure there, you know, like the gym is a tough, some people will say, well, I walked into this restaurant and people weren't wearing masks. Well, Okay, I, you, you can't wear a mask. It's, it's very difficult to wear a mask in a restaurant. I mean, when I go into a restaurant, I wear the mask until we sit down at the table, and then I take off the mask. So that that's – and I'm not one of these people who puts it back on and takes it off every time you take a bite because I think that kind of defeats the entire purpose. And if the restaurant would require it, I would do it, but the places I go to don't require that. But I do wear the mask until you sit at the table. All right, when we come back, we'll find out what they're going to be talking about on Wisconsin's Afternoon News. Stick around.